the glory of Jesus Christ is like a bright light. And Satan has to do everything that he possibly can to try and prevent people from seeing the brilliance and the glory of the bright light of Jesus who says, I am the light of the world. Welcome to Open the Bible with Pastor Colin Smith. I'm David Pick. And Colin, today we come to something which I think a great many parents and even grandparents struggle with, which is how to pray when you fear for your children. Yeah, are there any parents or grandparents who don't face that? I mean, uh, the culture that we are living in, the pressure that is on our children and on our grandchildren, and how often we end up saying to each other now, what kind of world are they going to inherit? What kind of world are they really growing up in? And, you know, Psalm 12 speaks to this more clearly than any other psalm that I know. I found it profoundly helpful. It describes with extraordinary penetration penetration, the kind of world in which our children and our grandchildren are growing up in. And therefore, it gives us a model for how to pray for our children and for our grandchildren and where to find hope as we look to the Lord who's able to protect them in such a world as this. So we're in Psalm 12 today as we continue our series with Christ in the School of Prayer as we begin today's message, How to Pray When You Fear for Your Children. Here's Colin. I've given this one the title, How to Pray When You Fear for Your Children. And I want you to see straight away why I've chosen that title. Uh, this is a generational psalm. If you look at uh, verse 8, right at the end, you'll see it says, you will guard us from this generation. So it's talking about times, present and future, in which we and our children are living. Uh, notice in both verse 1 and verse 8, we read about the children of man. And so the focus here is on one generation and its concern for the next. And uh, the reason why uh, the person praying this psalm is concerned is in verse 1. Save, O Lord, for the godly one is gone. The faithful have vanished from among the children of men. Now, it's a very striking statement. Godly people, faithful people, not seeing so many of them around. That's what's being said in this psalm. And as parents and as grandparents who are concerned for our children, for the future um, generation, we want our children, we want our grandchildren to be surrounded by faithful people, by models of godliness, good examples, and so forth. And David, in uttering this prayer, is praying out of a concern that it's getting more difficult to find godly friends for your kids. And more than that, if you look in verse 8, on every side the wicked prowl as vileness is exalted among the children of men. So David is noticing a significant change. Isn't that a striking phrase? Vileness is exalted. So something that is a vice gets made into a virtue. And good gets called evil, and evil gets called good, and everything gets turned upside down. And parents and grandparents increasingly find themselves concerned and saying, what hope is there for our children and for future generations in this world in which they are growing up, in which everything seems to be turned on its head, and it's harder and harder to find them surrounded by faithful and by godly 
example. Now, that's the burden of the psalm. That's why I gave it this title, How to Pray When You Fear for Your Children. And just to say that in these moments of introduction is surely to make it immediately obvious that this is a psalm that we need, and we're very glad it's in the Bible. Because surely it speaks exactly to our situation today, where increasingly parents and grandparents are concerned for what it will mean for our children, next generation, to be growing up in a world that is in many ways significantly different from the one in which we grew up or our parents grew up. And it's a prayer that comes out of that and flows into that. There are two parts in the message today. The first and the longest part is going to be an analysis of the assault that our children are facing. So there are many young people in the congregation here today, always so glad that you are here. And what I want to show you from this psalm, so I hope you've got a Bible or you can grab a Bible and see it, I want to show you from this psalm the pressures that you are facing as you grow up, and you can tell me afterwards if you think that this psalm has accurately described what you're facing, the reality of your life. I promise you, because it's the Word of God, you're going to say, that's it. That's exactly what my life is like, and it's all here in Psalm 12. So we're going to do an analysis from this psalm of the assault that our children, our grandchildren are facing, and then second and more briefly, a strategy for prayer and for action in the light of that reality. So all of this in this wonderful psalm, and I hope therefore that um, you have it open in front of you. Now, just one other cross-reference in the Bible that I want to touch at this point because it's important for our understanding of what is happening in this psalm, and that is 2 Corinthians in chapter 4 and verse 4, where Paul says he speaks about Satan and describes him as the God of this world, and he says, Satan, the God of this world, has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God." So what he's saying is that there is a particular and an ongoing work of the enemy of everyone's soul, Satan, and uh, he's always at work to bring blindness to human minds. And the reason he's always doing this is because the glory of Jesus Christ is like a bright light, a brilliant light. And Satan has to do everything that he possibly can to try and prevent people from seeing the brilliance and the glory of the bright light of Jesus who says, I am the light of the world. And how does he bring this blindness, this dullness, so that people don't see what otherwise would be completely obvious, the glory of Jesus? The answer is that he is a liar and the father of lies. That's what Jesus said about Satan, our enemy, John 8, 44. He's a liar and the father of lies. And lies are his stock in trade for blinding our eyes, whether we're young or whether we're older, to the glory of Jesus Christ. And the lies that he uses are different in different cultures, and they're different in different generations. But the overall strategies that he uses are largely the same. There's nothing that's particularly new. And so what I want to show you from the psalm is really three brands of deception that Satan uses to keep people from seeing the light of the glory of Jesus Christ. And I'll give you the headings so we know where we're going, and they're all in Psalm 12. 
He uses the lies of vanity, he uses the lies of flattery, and he uses the lies of blasphemy. These are the three, and they're all in the sum, three brands of deception. And this is the assault that Satan is currently deploying upon all of us in this culture, and especially upon those who are young, growing up, and forming life in this culture. You are facing the assault of Satan trying to keep you blind by three brands of deception. Now, the first one, then, is vanity. Vanity. Verse 2, everyone utters lies And literally, several commentators point this out, that the word that's translated lies there literally means emptiness. Everyone utters emptiness to his neighbor. So David has a particular brand of lies in view, and it's this, everyone utters emptiness to his neighbor. And I'm going to suggest to you that there could hardly be a more powerful description of our culture today. Now, um, all of you know there's this big discussion that's going on in our country at the moment about spying. Uh, You know, the NSA listening to people's conversations around the world and and all this kind of thing. And uh, I've been interested just to follow that conversation, not only from the U.S. perspective, but uh, reading a, a paper, as I do, from the U.K., Uh, getting a different perspective as well. And uh, I particularly enjoyed a a sort of satirical piece, I suppose it was, uh, written by a British journalist who said that the person she felt sorry for was the poor guy that she pictured working at the NSA who had the miserable job of sifting through endless meaningless emails and voicemails and texts and tweets and Facebook posts, the vast majority of which everybody knows contain absolutely nothing of consequence whatsoever. And uh, she goes on to muse that if this guy tapped into her cell phone, that she would hear, he would hear, for example, her weekly conversation with her elderly mother who goes along the lines of, and how was your week this week? Uh, Well, I I went to the grocery store. Oh, that was nice. And what else? Oh, yes, cousin Mabel came along. Oh, really? And how is she? Oh, not so good. She's been to the doctor. And then on and on the list of everything that's wrong with cousin Mabel and so forth. You know what this is like? I mean, and she pictures this guy snoozing off in in sort of uh, complete and utter boredom, going through the millionth email in which nothing of uh, any great significance is being said. Just think about that. All of you who are younger today, this psalm describes exactly the world in which you are growing out. Now, you watch up for this next week. Just keep your eyes open and watch the tweets, the texts, the posts. What are they all about? Will any of them matter in one year's time? Will any of them matter in 10 years' time? Will anything that's there matter in 50 years' time? You are growing up in a world of trivia, of little stuff in which, this is what David says, everyone utters emptiness to his neighbor. 
you're growing up in a, a world that is dominated by the next game, uh, the latest reality TV show, the thing that's just gone viral on uh, YouTube or whatever that is, that becomes the obsession of people and what everybody's talking about all the time. And if you begin to look at it carefully and say, now how much of this actually really matters, just ask that question. You will come to the conclusion that what David says in Psalm 12 is exactly speaking to the world in which you're growing up in school today, in which everybody utters emptiness to his neighbor. And you know what? That is why serious conversation begins to feel like it's really odd. You say, do you believe in God or something like that that actually matters? It's a bit heavy, isn't it? You know, let's get back to tweeting about, uh, you know, whatever's happening in the latest reality show that's on last night and some outrageous thing that some person has said. Now, that is exactly what the world in which we live. And this is what I'm calling Satan's vanity brand of lies, emptiness. And here's the effect of it. Now, you think about this as you're growing up. The result of this first brand of Satan's deception is that it is possible, and this actually happens, for people to go through high school and through college and through an entire career and through retirement and never in all of that time ever get round to asking the most important questions like, who am I and why am I here? and what is life for, and what actually lies beyond. And Satan thrives on getting more and more people obsessed with more and more trivia so that you never actually stop and think. It's a huge deception. You're growing up in a world that's just awash with it, with all the wonderful technologies that are around you. You're listening to Open the Bible with Pastor Colin Smith and the message, How to Pray When You Fear for Your Children. It's part of our series on prayer. It's called With Christ in the School of Prayer. And if you've missed any of the series or if you'd like to go back and listen again, please come online to our website, openthebible.org.uk, and there you'll find all of the messages which have already gone out on air. Back to the message now. Here's Colin. Now... When I was at high school, which was a long time ago, we read two books about the future. Now, I promise you we read more than two books at high school, but we read two books particularly about the future that were part of the prescribed um, reading list in English literature. One of these was Aldous Huxley's Brave New World, and the other one was George Orwell's 1984. A number of you will have read uh, these books. Now, what was so interesting about reading both of them is that they offered very, very different views of the future. Orwell, in 1984, thought that the future would be one of totalitarian brutality. He thought that communism, oppression would spread around the world, that it would suppress truth. Here's how he said it. He said, if you want a vision of the future, Imagine a boot stamping on a human face forever. Isn't that an awful phrase? That's what Orwell said. That's what the future is going to be, Orwell said. 
totalitarian oppression. Huxley had a very, very different view of the future. He thought that it would not be that totalitarian powers would enslave people, but that what would happen actually is that people would end up enslaving themselves. And this is what he said. This is fascinating because it's so many years ago. Because they would adore, he said, the technologies that undo their capacity to think. Isn't that prophetic? He said, that's what's going to happen, that people will enslave themselves. It won't be some authority that um, is brutal towards them. What will happen in most of the world is that people will enslave themselves because they adore the technologies that undo their capacity to think. In other words, they live in a world of trivia and tweets and texts and never actually think, who am I? Why am I here? And what is life for? And in 1985, so just immediately following the actual year 1984, that uh, people who'd read Orwell in earlier years were kind of thinking, oh, what's going to happen, you know, uh, in 1984, and nothing particularly new uh, that I can recall ever did. Um, 1985, Neil Postman writes a fascinating book that was called Amusing Ourselves to Death. And it's even more relevant today than it was then when I first read it. And he just contrasts the two. He says, what Orwell feared was those who would ban books. What Huxley feared was that no one would seriously want to read a book. Orwell feared those who would deprive us of information. Huxley feared those who would deluge us with so much that we'd be reduced to complete passivity. Orwell feared that the truth would be concealed from us Huxley feared that the truth would be drowned in a sea of irrelevance. Orwell feared that we would become a captive culture. Huxley feared that we would become a trivial culture. And what these last years have proved and what you are experiencing as you grow up in this world is that although, as we were praying earlier, there are some places that do experience the Orwellian nightmare of the boot stamping on the human face, awful cruelty and awful oppression in some places. But in most parts of the world today, it is Huxley's prediction that has come to be the reality. In most places in the world today, Satan's primary strategy is that being awash in a sea of trivia, you might go through your entire life without ever seriously thinking about yourself, about God, about eternity at all. And this is the extraordinary thing, that Satan is so good at this tactic of deception, of keeping you from thinking, that it is highly possible, and you will see that it happens, you know that this happens, for people to come to a service like this, even a service where the Bible is preached, and then to hang out with your friends afterwards, and to do this for 10 years, and still never to seriously think, who am I? Why am I here? Who is God, and what is this claim that He lays upon my life, and what is this eternity, and what am I going to do with Jesus Christ, and why in the world am I living for myself when the Son of God loved me and gave Himself for me? You know that happens, but have you ever asked why? 
And the answer is because Satan is always at work to bring this blindness even where the truth is very, very near at hand. And he does it first by this brand of lies that I've described as vanity. Don't let him do that to you. Second, flattery, more briefly. Notice verse 2, with flattering lips and a double heart they speak. Verse 3, may the Lord cut off all flattering lips. Now, what is flattery? Flattery is saying only what other people want to hear, so you only say what other people want to hear, and it is hearing only what you want other people to say. In other words, anything that pushes you outside your comfort zone, you just shut it out. I don't want to hear that. You hear only what you want other people to say. And flattery becomes the spoken language in any culture where people give themselves to vanity. And since that is largely true of the culture in which we live, flattery, saying what you think other people want to hear, and only hearing what you want other people to say just becomes the, the common language of our culture. And it is Satan's second great tool of deception. Because if you only hear what you want other people to say, then you will never see the light of the gospel of the glory of Jesus Christ. You've been listening to Open the Bible with Pastor Colin Smith and our message, How to Pray When You Fear for Your Children. It's part of our series, With Christ in the School of Prayer, and today looking at three kinds of deception which can attack our children. Vanity, we started to look at flattery, and we'll look at that again next time. And also next time we'll be looking at blasphemy. Colin will then go on to look at strategies for prayer and action. So I hope you'll be able to join us next time on Open the Bible. If you've missed any of the series, or indeed if you'd like to go back and listen again, you can always do that by coming online to our website, openthebible.org.uk, and there you can listen to any of the previously broadcast messages. You'll also find us as a podcast. Either follow the link on our website or go to your favourite podcast site, search for Open the Bible UK and subscribe to receive regular updates. Also on our website, you can find many of Pastor Colin Smith's sermons organised in four ways. By series, Colin preaches a whole series on a particular subject. By topic, with reference to individual scripture and by date. This means that it's really easy to home in on any of the subjects, topics or scriptural references that you may be looking for. Go to openthebible.org.uk and click on the menu item, Sermons. You'll also find an online Bible study course entitled The Drive. This is a 30-session journey through the entire Bible, and it will take you deep into the valleys of the Old Testament, the peaks of the glory of Jesus, and the ups and downs of the Christian life. Again, that's The Drive, and you can find it under the menu item Resources on the Open the Bible website. That's openthebible.org.uk. Open the Bible is supported by our listeners, and we're able to stay on the air and on the internet because of your generosity. If you'd like to begin supporting us this month, we have an offer for you. It's a book. It's called The Christian Manifesto, and it's by Alistair Begg. Colin, what's special about this book? 
Well, Alistair takes us to the heart of Jesus' teaching in the Sermon on the Mount or the Sermon on the Plain, as it's called in Luke's Gospel. And so we're into the teaching of Jesus that is just radically different from anything that we would ever find anywhere else. And Alistair draws this out in the most marvelous way. I mean, for example, here's what he says about Jesus' teaching on taking the log out of your own eye before we try and remove the speck out of someone else's eye. He says, it starts with me admitting that it's likely not my wife who needs to change, but me. It's not my co-workers who are the problem, but me. It's got that kind of personal, practical honesty. It's written with great clarity, great grace, and great wisdom. Alistair says, we are not called to be like the world, and the world does not need us to be like the world. We have something better to say because we have someone better to follow. It's a wonderful book because it points us so clearly, practically, and hopefully to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. The book's called The Christian Manifesto by Alistair Begg, and it's our gift to you if you're able to set up a new donation for the work of Open the Bible this month in the amount of £5 per month or more. Information about this offer and lots of other information besides is available on our website, openthebible.org.uk. For Open the Bible and Pastor Colin Smith, I'm David Pick, and I very much hope you'll join us again next time. When you pray for your children, lay out the pressures they're facing. How do you do that? Find out next time on Open the Bible.